G'day mate, 40 here. So I usually have about an hour or two early in the morning when I'm at my most mentally sharp and how I use that time is uh, great importance to me. So this is how I divide it up. I'm torn between all these different activities. So one is writing. I want to develop my essay in reaction to David Brooks's essay on why Americans have become so mean. I've got hours and hours of work to do on that. And I've probably spent 25, 30 hours on my essay decoding Dennis Prager. So that's like that's like 15 to 20 mornings, right? My you know open optimum you know, free time just spent on that one blog post. Uh, then another option is to clean up grammar, spelling, punctuation, cohesion, coherence, the intellectual quality of uh, previous writings. Then uh, this morning I had over an hour spare before my 12-step uh, obligations, Jewish obligations, you know, self-care obligations, and uh, I spent it uh, going through a, an old flash drive and digging up. Uh, five videos of mine that were not previously uploaded to Rumble and to Odyssey from early 2020, late 2019. But the hour I spent finding and uploading those videos, man, I didn't spend on my David Brooks essay. So I want to optimize my time because I feel torn in all these different directions. So I basically just divided up a third, a third, a third. Optimizing is really hard to do with relations with other people. So something amusing happened to me the other day. I was getting together with acquaintances for a night out. And for this event to be convenient to me, I'd need to get a ride. And the first ride fell through. Then the second ride fell through. And by this point, I was starting to feel aggrieved. (laughs) But that... You know, possibly normal, but here what was abnormal, and this is not what was particularly sick about it. I was enjoying feeling rejected and aggrieved. Like my therapist said, if I read a autobiography, I should call it the uninvited. And so, this feeling of exclusion, of being unwanted, you know, I spent some of my early years in foster care, you know, staying with many different families because my mother was dying of cancer. And so these powerful early emotions, they keep springing up now. And so a large part of me just wanted to, you know, go home, isolate, listen to air supply songs, you know, have a little cry and feel, you know, unwanted and rejected. And I'll show them an amazing blog post I can make on David Brooks. Ah, and that was, that was probably the strongest emotion that I was feeling at the time, like way above my anticipation of what, you know, a fun event this should be. And, you know, get to know people who I like. And, like. The desire for self-destruction is still so strong inside of me. It blows me away. And then, yeah, human, human relations, right? They're like a foreign language to me, just why I'm like so analytic about them because many of the normal things that people just take for granted, right, are a foreign language to me from you know, growing up in foster care and in, in chaos. And so, 
So you can't, it, you can't optimize relations with other people like you can op optimize the time you spend on your own. Like my early mornings where I usually have an hour or two, I'm just free to pursue whatever's on top of my agenda. Can't really do that so easily with other people because they have their own conflicting demands. And inevitably, when you get together with other people, there will be long stretches that will be boring to you. Uh, for example, most normal people I know enjoy talking about food and drink, particularly in a general conversation. So you're looking for some low intensity topic that everyone can participate in. And so, food and drink. Right, is very common, uh, particularly in Orthodox life. Seems like maybe it's just because I spend so much time in Orthodox life, but it feels like Orthodox Jews can just spend hours talking about food and drink, and it's just a, no interest to me. But the things that I want to talk about are high intensity, controversial, people rendering, rending, splitting, divisive topics like you know, sex politics, religion, you know, hot button issues. Uh, non-PC observations about reality and the types of things I talk about on the show that's you know, that, that's what grabs my attention but it's not really appropriate talk for you know many different social situations but if you, you know, endure you know, the boring talk you can get some good talk that might lay the foundations for like deeper, more, say, one-on-one -on -one interactions. So, my natural tendency is to spend way too much time isolating. So I have to push myself and fight myself to spend more time in social situations, which means enduring often a lot of boring conversation for the payoff of sometimes some scintillating conversation and the, you know, a building of a foundation for say deeper relations or more just convivial relations it's uh, hard to optimize human relationships the same way you can optimize the time you spend on your own that's a good thing about spending time with other people you see, you learn stuff, you know, you learn about them, life, and about yourself. I kind of admire it when I meet people whose humor is not mean. My humor is often quite mean, quite shocking. I'm 57 years of age, and still a very large part of me resonates with wanting to be as shocking and as offensive as possible, just pushing people's buttons, like pushing them to reject me testing them, are they really going to be, you know, a friend to me? So that's an incredibly self-destructive impulse. It uh, runs very strong, runs very hot within me. And yet I can see other people with a very similar sense of humor to mine, but they deploy it in a non-showy, <clears throat> non-confrontational, non-repulsive, non-repellent, pro-social manner. It's like, oh man, I can learn from them. <laughs> then here, here are two other extremes that I'm very prone to in socializing. One is to try to hug attention. And then the other is to not participate. Right, I'm there, 
but I'm not participating because I've said to myself, well, I'm tired of trying to hog attention to myself. So I tend to go to one extreme or the other. And like, who was that like? It's like my father. My father had almost no interest in being part of any social interactions in which he was not the focus. I remember someone I had a a media class with in high school when I was a sophomore. So it was my first first time at a public high school, public school. And uh, she commented about me. We didn't know what to do with his brain. In other words, I would I would scare people because of the cutting things that I would say or the the. Uh, High tension causing things that I'd say, the pr- provocative nature of what I'd say, like always pushing, provoking, trying to commandeer the room. Or some of it's just my, my sheer love of wordplay, which I'll probably get from my Irish ancestry. And I love playing with words, you know, I love having a laugh. So it's not all malicious. Right? Some people like to play basketball, you know, I like to play with words. But uh, the cost of my life, a lot, a lot of people would be kind of scared of me because I'd say really cutting, cruel remarks. And then I'd encounter other people who would scare me a little bit because of their ability to deliver cutting, cruel remarks. And I got older, realized these remarks only hurt me if they touch on truth. If someone says something cutting and cruel to me, that bears absolutely no resemblance to reality, like uh, L. Jim's five-page essay, Luke the Philosopher, that he uh, turned into Brundle in 2019. It doesn't doesn't hurt me because he doesn't uh, usually touch on any truths, and so it's no big deal. So I realize now in my old age, people only hurt me if they're saying something that that touches on something that I'm already insecure about. I remember many years ago I said to my therapist, sometimes I go to synagogue and I wonder if anyone there cares about me. My therapist responded, well, do you care about anyone there? That's such a great response. So one of the ways that my life's improved over the past few years is I'm spending five, ten hours a week so in volunteering. So it's just a good way to meet people. I remember there was a couple I knew at synagogue who'd met through volunteering. They would kind of urge me if I wanted to meet a woman or just expand my life to you know, find projects to volunteer on. So, my natural tendency is to isolate way too much. So, to overcome that, I also have to overcome the anxiety that, that comes with interacting with others, becoming vulnerable to them, such as asking for a ride. Like, I tend towards an overly stiff you know, interaction pattern where I want interactions on my terms. And so, negotiating 
relationships, right? You can't, you can't relate to people unless you negotiate with them. And there's constant negotiation and compromise in vulnerability. Right? People will get to know you, get to know your, your weak points, their weak points, vulnerabilities that you may you know, try to avoid, try to block out, deny. Then through interacting with others, they confront you right in the face. You can't deny them anymore. I got, I'm reading a great book. It sounds like the dumbest book you've ever heard of, but it's called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. So one of them is consciousness. Like, what would my life look like if I were 5% more conscious? What would my life look like if I had 5% more integrity? Like if I was 5% more aware of, say, the other people in my life and what they need or want from me? What would my life look like if I was 5% more accepting of reality of myself and other people? What would my life look like if I had, say, 5% more purpose and direction?